I'm going to share a little bit today on God's grace. And part of it is to help you to understand that you're safe in God's arms. You know, when I received this revelation of grace, healthy grace, it helped me to be at peace with God even when I wasn't perfect. Knowing my relationship with God is because of Jesus, knowing that I'm perfect in Him because of the blood, knowing that I'm a child of God because I've been born of God, helped me to walk day by day from being a complete mess, dysfunctional young man, and slowly growing in maturity and overcoming all kinds of things. And I know that there's still things that I have to overcome. I'm still wearing this natural body, and so are you. So there's still things we have to overcome. And on the path, you can either be afraid that you're going to fail so much that God's going to abandon you, or you're going to have faith that He loves you and you're born of Him. And that understanding is what has helped me to go to bed at night at peace with God and wake up every morning at peace with God, even though I'm not perfect. And I know I'm not perfect, and I know He knows I'm not perfect. So we're going to cover some scriptures today that have been sometimes misinterpreted, but some scriptures today to help build a case in your heart scripturally of why you can say to your emotions, say to your your natural man, I'm at peace with God. Even though you may hear the voice of doubt and unbelief saying, it's over, it's over, you fail too much. So I want to start with one of our core verses on grace. And we're going to go to different verses today, and we're going to try to prove to you in Scripture that you are a child of God. And you may not be a perfect child of God, or the best child of God, or the holiest child of God, or the most anointed child of God, but you are still a child of God. So here in Hebrews chapter 13, one of our core verses for understanding grace is in verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So that is one of our core verses to have in our heart. God will never leave me nor forsake me. But what if I did this? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. But what if I did that? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. What if I failed him a thousand times? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so when we understand that we can walk away from God, we can make choices in our life that will make us distant emotionally from God, and then eventually some of those choices can take us away from our salvation. And those are choices of repetitive sin and accepting sin as who you are. And also we've learned accepting religion, another pathway to God without Jesus. Those are two ways you walk away from God. But be clear, He's never walked away from you. He'll never walk away from you. We can walk away from Him. He'll never walk away from us. And this is one of the fundamental points of salvation that I believe many Christians are missing out on because they don't understand it. And again, the way you see yourself and the image you have of who God is will many times be the way you interpret the Scripture. And if it's wrong then you're interpreting it wrong. Even though the words may agree with what you say, you feel what you feel is wrong. And that's why we need prayer and the Holy Ghost to help change that image of doubt and the wrong image and replace it with the truth of who God is. And then you'll see Scripture for what it really means, or at least get on that path. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to read a few verses here. And when you understand this, you will also understand some of the reasons why we give by love and not by, not to earn. Why our walk with God is never earning anything. It's always receiving something. I mean, even the strength to do things comes from His grace. And I've seen many young men, especially, and, and some women, young women, they get inspired to pray in the Holy Ghost, and they pray and they pray and they pray, and, and finally the fruit comes forward, they start to change. And then they say something like, you know what, I did all that praying in tongues and nothing happened. And then one day I made a decision and everything changed. And I just wish someone would have told me, just make the decision. And I would have done that years ago. But what they don't understand was they didn't want to make that decision years ago. So all that praying in tongues helped them to get to the place to where they would desire to make the decision and, and step into it. 
even though they were free the moment they were saved, they need the help of the Holy Ghost to really walk it out and come to the place to where the image inside of them had changed enough that they wouldn't accept that sin anymore. And then they made the decision. So they can dismiss all those years of prayer, but those prayer hours, that time letting the Holy Ghost pray through them, help them to come to a place where they were able to step into what God already gave to them. Many times people dismiss things thinking it's because, hey, I just decided, but there's fruit in prayer. And that's why praying in tongues is so important because it changes the image. It allows the Holy Spirit to change the image of the way you see yourself and the way you see God. And unfortunately, some people see God and they use some scripture to be someone to be afraid of. That you better be afraid of God. And they and they use the word fear, and it's in Scripture, to be have fear of God, have godly fear. And there is many ways you can interpret that. And the way you see yourself and the way you see God will depend how you interpret godly fear or having fear in the presence of God. And if you feel that you are distant from God or earning, constantly earning your relationship with God you'll always be afraid that you don't make the mark, that you aren't good enough and or haven't done enough before you're even willing to ask God for things. So it turns you into a beggar instead of a son, begging for your needs, begging for things that Jesus already purchased for you, or trying to offer good works and holiness as a reason why God should do something that Jesus already purchased for you. But when you see yourself as a son and a daughter of God, born in Him, it changes everything. It changes the way that you look to Him when you worship. It changes the way you go to bed. It changes the way you get up in the morning. Because you're at peace with God because He is your Father. He has birthed you by faith. You are a child of God. So we want to look at some of these verses. Because I do believe we need to have godly fear of God. But the way I interpret that is we need to have a godly respect that his standards of holiness, his standards of, of loving people, is what we are to aspire to and press towards and never give up until we get there and not make excuses why we don't have to do it. And the godly respect is, I choose the path that God has for me. The godly fear is, I am afraid, not of God, but I'm afraid of one day being tricked and letting my flesh override my life to where I can lose and give up my salvation and then I need to be very afraid of meeting God. You never want to meet God. Never want to be in God's personal presence, like uh, stand before Him at Judgment Day, without being born again, without His nature in you. He is a family man and the only one allowed in heaven. And to walk with Him in eternity are those who are family. Heaven is an exclusive club, family only can't be bought in. You can't earn your way in. You must accept Jesus as your Savior. And when you understand that I'm family because I'm born again, it can change the way, it should change the way you view your day-to-day -day relationship with God. Where I am family. He's my father. I now, you know, years later, years older, have two children. And I understand a better avenue of being a father, better idea of being a father, because I have two little rugrats. And let me tell you, they're not perfect. They're great kids. They've got great hearts. They love God, but they make mistakes. They have to be corrected and instructed uh, through this part of their life so they can be, you know, follow God on their own later on. Well, that's a good father, but there's never been a point. Let's be clear. And there never will be a point in my son's life or my daughter's life to where they do something so bad or wrong that I will say, I'm done with you. You're no longer my child. I'm casting you out of my family. I'm taking my family name from you. I am not your father. But see, this is the way some people view God when they don't have a true revelation of God's grace, is that, yeah, I'm just on the edge of God kicking me out. And they're always constantly afraid of failing God so much that he's going to disown them. And we read in Hebrews 13 that he will never leave you nor forsake you. So if there's any separation between a person and God, it's not God, it's the person walking away from God. And yes, we can see in Scripture that you can walk away from God so much that you give up your new nature 
and take back a nature of sin, which would mean you lose your salvation. You gave it up. God didn't take it from you. God does not just say, I can't take it anymore. You're such a failure, loser. You're out of here. Go to Satan. He'll take you. I don't want you. And But unfortunately, many people have that in their the back of their heart, in the back of their mind, when they walk with God. They walk on eggshells. Rather than having a relationship with God that frees you to know that He loves you even with all your imperfections, even with the sins you're struggling with, He loves you, and He couldn't wait until you were perfect before He opened the door of the Holy of Holies for you to run in and jump on His lap. And that's what it means we go boldly into the throne room of God because we're His child. There's nothing between us anymore, even your imperfections cannot stop him from hugging you and loving you. And people, Christians, need to know that. That while we're pursuing holiness, that's the respect for God, that we take his standards to being true and the standards I want to keep. Oh, I'll just I'll just be faithful a little bit. I'll just give a little bit. I'll just do a little bit. We want you know many times we make a negotiation with our flesh and our outward man and say, Yeah, we'll stay right here. But God wants more. If you're spending any time with God He is a jealous God. He wants more of your life, more of your time, more of your heart every day. And as long as we have that respect and honor towards Him, that is is the fear of God. That's godly fear, that we keep His standards, we pursue His standards. But until we make those standards, you don't need to be afraid that you're failing Him. The fact that you're fighting things is proof that you love Him and want more of Him. The fact that you're struggling against things and and trying to get things that are ungodly out of your life is proof that you're pursuing Him. Perfection is not the proof. The walk is the proof. The the struggle is the proof. So I do want to encourage you today that you can be safe in God's arms before you're perfect. And we're going to prove that to you, look at some scripture and put it in the right context with that understanding of, I have a godly respect and a godly fear of God which means I honor Him and I pursue His will, I pursue His standards. But I'm not afraid. I don't have a phobia where oh, I was I was going to pray three hours and it only lasted two hours. God, don't strike me down. Please don't abandon me. Or I fell into sin and now he, now it's over. It's all done. I've done the impartable. Obviously, He's kicked me out. I might as well just give up. We want to be safe in His arms while we're, we're walking towards perfection. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4. We'll start in verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creation hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So, you, when God looks at you, he doesn't see the person you're trying to portray. He doesn't see the person that you want him to see. He doesn't see the Sunday go to church person. He sees you naked and he sees all your imperfections. And he sees all your weaknesses and all the hidden desires and things that you're, you're walking out of. And he's not afraid of you. And you shouldn't be afraid of him. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. So that is, holding fast to our confession means I am accepting that my confession for salvation was enough for me to be a child of God. That's what it means by holding on to your your confession. It means don't add anything to it. Don't question it. Uh, don't try to keep it alive or re-earn it every day. You, When you confess that you were saved, Jesus made a way for His Father to legally become your Father. You were born of God because you got His new nature. Don't question that. And that was the pressure on these people was to question their salvation, that that was not enough. Verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, 
let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So that's telling us that the the one Jesus, who is not only the Lamb of God, but the high priest who 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 takes care of the the temple and the blood and all those things, that our high priest, our person in heaven, our our high priest who takes care of us, represents us in some ways, but takes care of us. Jesus, he was tempted in every way that you're tempted. And you need to know that, that he went through things that you're going through. And we may wonder, well, God was never tempted in this. Jesus was never. Yeah, he was tempted in every way, everything you can think of. And he came through without sin. Because of that, look at verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. So now I want you to see, we're talking about a person who is struggling. The writer of Hebrews is saying, understand that even Jesus, who is our high priest, your high priest, he has sympathy for you. In other words, he knows what you're going through. He cares what you're going through. He understands what you're going through, and he is here to help you to walk through it. No matter how dark it is or hard it may be, Jesus has gone through it, and that's what gives him such a love and compassion and sympathy for us as we go through our battles. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here's the image of grace for us, that you're not perfect. I don't have to be a prophet to know that. God knows it. He looks at you and he sees you naked in all your imperfections and all your hidden struggles and things and all the things you're going through, all the worries and fears. And because Jesus is also our high priest, he can sympathize with our battle. And because he does that, He's not judging you. He's there to help you. And He's there to comfort you. And it says that, Let us therefore, even though we know we're going through things, because, not because we're perfect, not because we got our prayer time in, or our fasting in, or our feeding the poor time in, or our witnessing in, but because we have a high priest Jesus, we can therefore go boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in help in time of need. So in our imperfections, our battles, when we feel like we need help and we're in a time of need, if you see God as being angry at you because you haven't met the mark, you will try to fix it yourself and say, God, I'm coming, let me clean this first. I'm coming, God, I mean to get there, but i got to fix this first. When I fix this, then I'll come. And God did not wait, want to wait until you were perfect. The Father wanted to have a relationship, a fellowship with you, a connection with you, a celebration with you every day before you were perfect. And that's why the blood of Jesus can cleanse us when we're struggling and allow us to run into the very presence of God before we're ever perfect. Knowing that we have a high priest who's for us and is walking with us and we can go through him, to him, to the Father and find a throne of grace, a throne of mercy that will give us the strength and help in the time of our need. And so many believers, they want to give up because they just feel they're not perfect enough. I want to encourage you that even in your battle, He loves you and He's for you and He's made a way for you. I learned more about the love of God. You know, we have a saying in our, our church, our ministry says that, if it's not family, if it doesn't feel like family, it's not God. If the message you hear from someone is uh, God of anger against you, and it doesn't feel like family. See, my, my children, they're good kids, but they're kids. So they, they you know try to get away with stuff. And even when I catch them and they're under discipline for doing something they know they weren't supposed to do and got caught. You know, there's little things. I'm pr- kind of proud sometimes of the things they get away with. And uh, nothing horrible. But, you know, 
they know they they stepped out of bounds and they know that they they were trying to sneak away with something and sometimes uh you know i'll watch one of my kids walk out of the kitchen and they're they got their side turned, and they're walking. They have a walk, and they don't know it, but it gives them away that they have under their shirt. They've tucked a, a candy bar or, or chips or something they aren't supposed to eat at that time. And you watch them go, and you you know, we have ants in one of our kids' room where the ants give away uh, where they keep their candy. There's stolen candy that they stole from our pantry. They're forbidding candy. Our dogs will go in and start sniffing around, and ca- we'll catch them. And, uh, you know, and even in those times where they maybe broke rules or stepped out of perfection, they've never felt that I was so angry with them that I was going to kick them out of the house and not feed them. I've, I've watched my kids happily eat a meal while they're under discipline for disobeying certain rules. But yet at dinner time, there they are eating their meal fully without thinking, oh, he's not going to feed me today. And that makes me proud and happy that my kids know that about their family. Well, that's how we should be with God. We are family with God. We're born of Him. And because of that, we should embrace Him. And And I've learned more about the love of God from my mama than I have from any preacher. Because I know one thing about my mama. She's, she's always been a character. And I wasn't raised in church. She's a church-going lady now, but she wasn't always. And... But I can tell you about my mama is that she loves me. She loves me unconditionally. I know that if I fail in life, if I, if I go broke and everything's bad and i got to run away from the police, <laughs> I can go see my mama. She'll hide me in her house. That's my mama. I know it. I know that I was captured by the police and put in jail. No one would come visit me. My mom would come visit me. She'd march right through the police station proud that she's coming to see her son. And wouldn't care what everyone thought about me. Wouldn't care a bit about everyone who's mad at me. And she'd even say, yeah, it's my boy. He was wanted in, you know, 30 states. He, he, he was a bank robber, but he did good. You know, he was a good, but he was the best. She'd find something to be proud of. And so I've learned something about unconditional love from my mom that I never captured from a preacher. And, and I, I know a lot of preachers try, but I learned from watching and feeling the love of my mom. And God's love is like that, that He loves you, He believes in you, and He'll challenge you to grow and be strong and to pursue holiness. But even in your imperfections, He loves you, He is there for you. And He knows through Jesus, He knows the battle you're going through. He's not judging you for it, He is strengthening you to walk through it. Now we're going to read over here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Or chapter 2, sorry. 1 Timothy. And we're going to go to chapter 2. And I'm going to read here verses 3 down a little bit. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men be saved. Okay, So his desire that every man be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Jesus Christ. Now I want us to focus here because the way we see God. And the the image of God and the image of yourself and the image of relationship you have with God. Will will tell you how you interpret this verse. And I'm afraid that many Christians interpret this verse as. There's God in heaven, perfect and holy, divine, beautiful, wonderful. And there is a mediator between God and me. Because I obviously am unworthy to get to know God and to be with God. I'm always failing Him. I'm never perfect. I don't think I've ever, in all the many fasts that I've attempted... I've always set targets. Sometimes I'd set large targets. I don't think I've ever yet finished the long fast perfectly. I've done some, but I've never finished one perfectly. I remember I would start a fast, and and uh, I'd be walking through the office one time, and there'd be a bowl of grapes, and before I knew it, I took a grape and, and chewed on it and swallowed it. And then I remembered, you know, five seconds later, oh, 
I'm in a fast. I ate a grape. I've ruined it. Oh, well, let me go get pizza and a hamburger. And I've blown my fast, so I'm going to really blow it. And I had to learn that even in pursuing those things with God, if you eat a grape, just keep moving on. Don't overthink it. I overthought it all the time. And so I would interpret that verse in my early days as I am a little worm or God loves me. I know that, but I'm not good enough. And I knew that. And even though I didn't realize he seen me naked that we read in, in Hebrews, I thought I, I was hiding things. And you can hide things from man. You can even hide things from your own self. But you can't hide it from God. And so I would think this verse would mean in my worthlessness or unworthiness or unproductiveness, I can go to Jesus and he will talk to God for me and say, don't, 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 don't strike him down, Father. He's with me. Uh, Don't, don't cast him out, Father. He's with me. I know he's a failure and he's a loser, but let's bring him in. We'll just sneak him in with the rest and, and we'll just let him sit in the back. You know, that's how I thought. But as I've learned more about what it means for him to be the mediator, it changes everything. See, he's not the mediator today of you and God the Father. In other words, you don't need a mediator now. You don't need someone between you and the Father. You do not need someone between you and the Father. Because you are in Christ. You are connected to God through salvation. He's not a mediator every day of your life. He was the mediator that made a way. Let me do this. I'm trying to do this the right way and not overdo it. But let's go to Ephesians here. Ephesians chapter 2. Now let's read this. Just Again, I'm trying to paint a picture that you, you legally, by Scripture, know that you're safe with God every day. On the days you're doing good, the days you fasted and prayed and worshipped, and the days you didn't, and the days you struggled, or the days you weren't perfect. You should always feel like I have a Father that is my Father, that may correct me, may ask more of me, uh, may encourage me strongly, but will never abandon me and reject me. My goal today is to make sure that we are out of the work treadmill of constantly earning earning God's favor. And this affects everything, even the way you give. I saw one preacher one time. He was preaching on the Passover. It was Easter time. And he was talking about, you know, it's Passover Sunday coming up. And and he talked about how they took the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost. And he named all the things through the Old Testament that the Passover offering, which was the lamb, and they ate the lamb in the house, and they left whole, healed of sickness. They left free from Egypt. They left with the wealth of Egypt. And this preacher did a marvelous job of saying that the Lamb of God, the Passover offering, provided for those people freedom from sickness, freedom from the world, prosperity, salvation for their family, even through the Red Sea, how it destroyed their enemies. It was a marvelous message of of what the Passover offering did for the people. And then he said, now we're going to receive the Passover offering. And that's one of the times I yelled at the TV because I thought, man, you just ruined the message. And what he, you know, he received a financial offering with words such as now, I want you to give your best offering right now. And what he was saying was in your giving of finances, that was your offering to God to activate all these promises that God had done in the Old Covenant. See, I believe in giving. I think it's important to give. I believe in sowing our finances. I believe in in being faithful. But I believe that the way we receive more finances is that we become a faithful steward of the finances we have. And we don't just use it for ourselves, we use it for the kingdom of God. And by being a faithful steward and saying, God, all my, my, all that I have belongs to you. 
And by being a faithful steward and hearing the voice of God in our giving, then he will trust us with more. And that is the way to having more abundance in the kingdom of God. But the way this preacher was saying it, so I want to be clear, I believe in sowing and I believe in giving. And I think this is the heart of most messages of sowing and giving. But if you take it as, I need to give to get God to do something, as in you are earning the right to request something from God. And I know it's not meant this way, but sometimes we can, people can take it this way. And that's what this preacher did. This preacher meant it, and I was very mad at him. And I didn't know him, but I didn't like it. And the way he was saying it was, now we're going to receive the Passover offering. So I want you to take your biggest amount that you can give. Don't you want to give God and be thankful for this? And as you give it and send that check to my ministry, I want you to know that God will be able to do these things for you. And the confusion was, he was saying the Passover offering, your financial gift would allow God to do something. And I was yelling at the TV, No! No! Jesus was my Passover offering. See, the way that we receive our our needs being met, the way we receive our healing, our deliverance, is faith in what Jesus has done, not an add-in to faith. Again, I know that most preachers don't mean it that way, but many times we take it that way. And so much like when someone says, I saw this one on TV and it really bugged me. Uh, I don't watch a lot of Christian TV anymore, if you haven't noticed. Um, But it was, you know, if you have a, a child that's sick or a child that's not saved and you want to see them saved and healed, then we're going to make a seed out of your offering. And what I want you to do is to take your finances and wrap it around your need and send me those finances as a a seed faith offering. And again, I I understand the principle of giving and and being a good steward. But what can be taken wrong was, oh, someone could say, oh, I need to add my finances to the need uh, for God to be able to do what he wants to do. Instead of saying, your child is already healed, and we want to believe for that by faith in what Jesus did. you know. And so the danger is we can try to earn something through our giving that Jesus already paid a price for. And I, again, I know most preachers don't aren't saying that, that I need you to add your work to make it faith to get God to give you something. But it's important that we don't ever take it like that, that I'm adding, uh, I'm sowing a seed of faith to see a miracle because I don't believe. And and the way you believe is not by adding your money. The way you believe is by spending time in the Word and, and spending time with God and learning who He really is. That Jesus already paid the price for our healing, for our salvation, for our deliverance. And so what we give financially is always out of our heart, out of obedience, never to earn something that Jesus already did. And I say that cautiously because I'm not trying to belittle any preacher because I believe most preachers mean it the right way, but it can be taken the wrong way if we're not careful that, oh, that's why my daughter's not healed, because I haven't given a seed of faith offering. Well, we're to sow into the kingdom our finances as we feel in our heart or as if God leads us, but never to earn something from God, never to say, you need to give it to me, God, because I gave this, I did this, that takes you into a, a false relationship with your father, and you'll do that every step of the way, always performing, always trying, but never feeling safe, never feeling as if, you know what? If I don't do one thing in the body of Christ, I don't win a soul, I don't pray for the sick, I don't give a penny, I can still receive the promises of God because Jesus' blood as the Lamb of God took all that and made it possible for me to receive salvation, my needs being met, deliverance from sin, emotional strength, salvation for my family, based solely on believing that Jesus was enough. And so when we give financially, it's because we know that He's our provider, not to make Him our provider. Anyways, I'm getting off course here. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Again, we're going to read this again. 
Uh, let's start in verse 4, and we're going to read through verse 6. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So even salvation in Christ is by his grace, not because of your good works. And raised us up together and made us... Now, if you're an underliner, this is where you should underline. And raised us up together, verse 6, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The way I used to think about it was I'm in heavenly places. Then there was God the Father and Jesus the Son on his right hand. And he as a seed reproduced everyone born again. And there was John beside him and Peter and then the apostles and then all the saints through the generations. And there was I way down at the end, 2,000 years later, born again in this large family of God. And I'd look down and, and wave, hey, God, hey, Jesus, Peter, good to see you, brother. And and look, I see a little dot way at the end, because this line is long. And we're seated the th- in the throne room, God the Father, Jesus the Son. And then all the people born again, the family of God, this long line of people. But as I begin to read this again and again, I saw the word in verse 6, raise us up together made us sit together. So God made us up together, raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I'm not on in a family where I'm at the end of the line. You know, like when you have families that have like 10 kids, and the, the last kid, that you know, it's always funny. You get the mom takes a photograph of... You know, the first kid, there's a 100 a day of pictures. And then the second kid, there's about 80 a day. And the third kid, there's like two a day. And then you get down to the 10th kid. They're lucky they have a a picture of anything in their life. And all their clothes are hand-me-downs. You know, like my my older brother, who was 20 years older than me, wore this. And so I get it now. It's been through four kids until it got to me. Well, you know, the little kid syndrome. You're the last kid. You're the baby. You get all the hand-me-downs, and you're not special. You know, where the first one's usually special because it's new. Well, that's what I felt like. Like, I'm I'm just the little one. I'm the youngest one. Ah, oh, thank God I got John's hand-me-downs. Oh, at least I got that. And, and I felt way down at the end of the line, not just in history, but even just in the people I was around. I'm, I'm like the least of the least. I should not be worthy of anything. But when it says this, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ Jesus. So the way the family of God is, isn't this long line of children where I know God can meet with all of us, but you know we're seated and we're at the end. It is in Christ Jesus. In other words, I'm not seated down the line of, you know, if it was ranked by holiness, I'd be probably quite a ways down the line. If it was ranked by maturity, I'd be quite a ways down the line. If it was ranked by Bible knowledge, you know, I'd be quite a ways down the line. If it was ranked by ability to win souls, I'd probably be way, you know, down the line. If it was whatever the ranking was, I can't find myself being near the top. But here it says, in Christ Jesus. So I'm not seated by ranking. I'm seated by salvation, by Jesus. So it goes, God the Father, he looks over, there's Jesus. But in Jesus, in that seat, is you. You are seated in Christ Jesus right next to the Father. That's how high up you rank in the family. That's how high up he sees you. And you might say right now, but you know, I just started this praying in tongues thing. I just started this you know, changing Right now, the moment you're saved, you're not ranked by holiness. We're not ranked by maturity. We are in Christ, and that means we are seated right next to the Father. We don't need to be afraid of Him distancing Himself from us. Through Jesus, we are in Christ. We are seated in Him. I'm going to go over here to Hebrews 19, and we're going to 
look at some verses again. And they're important because we want to see it the proper way. Hebrews 9, verse 15. And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So what makes him the mediator was his death is what made him the mediator. And so when we hear the word mediator, many believers feel that I have me standing here, a mess, not perfect, Jesus between me and there's the Father. So he's the mediator. So when I need to get a hug from God, I say, Jesus, can you go ask the Father if it's okay? We feel that we have Jesus between us and the Father. And he's a mediator. Many people, they approach God that way, like, oh God, I can't go in God's presence, so wash me and clean me. And we're so nervous about God that we never get to experience him because you're never perfect enough. And let me tell you, there's a good chance you'll never be perfect enough to feel worthy of God's presence. And if you ever come to a place that you feel you're worthy because you're good enough, that's a bad place to be. What makes us worthy is that we had Jesus as a mediator who through his death allowed me to be born into the family of God. Meaning I'm now seated right beside God as his child. I'm with him. I don't have a mediator today. Jesus, please talk to God for me. I can look over at my father and say, hey, hey God, I need help. Hey, Lord, I need, I need love. I can do that without being perfect because Jesus has already been the mediator. I think I want to get us out of thinking that the word mediator means that every day I have to go to Jesus first. And then because I'm just such a loser, I have to go to Jesus first. And then he has to make it okay for me to go to the Father today. But reality is, he did that the moment you were saved. You received his nature, meaning now you're an heir and you are an inheritor of all things of God because the mediation that happened happened the day you were saved and actually it happened the day Jesus was, was glorified from the dead. And you accepted that when you were saved. Uh, chapter 8, verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he's also a medi- also mediator of a better covenant that was established on better promises. So here he's, he's a, me- a mediator of the covenant, but I want to be clear, not of your daily issues. And it's important we get that out of our thinking that I'm so horrible, God need to put Jesus in front of me, between me and him. You know, and I can see why people think they have to get saved every week because everyone struggles with something. And if you don't think you are, then you're struggling with pride. And so every one of us struggle with something, trying to pursue God. And the one thing you don't want to do is wait until you're perfect before you can run onto His lap and enjoy His love. Because His love sometimes is the only thing that keeps you going. Sometimes you're going to feel such a loser, such a failure that you're going to think he doesn't want anything to do with you. And, and you go into his presence and you find him loving on you and encouraging you and strengthening you. And you're like, oh, he still loves me. I thought for sure he would have abandoned me by now. Uh, we've read this before in some of our uh, this series, but we're going to go to chapter 3 of Galatians in verse 20. Talking about Jesus. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Paul here is saying the mediator, who a mediator normally is a person that goes between two people. See, and that's what I want you to understand. Jesus is not a mediator for you today between you and the Father. He's a mediator of the covenants. He's a mediator to God, and he explains to what he means. And basically what this verse means is that God cannot find a man who was good enough. So to keep the covenant, we kept breaking it. And you don't have a covenant with God because you're not 
a covenant person. You are a birth, born again child of God through the covenant. So, so God needed to make a covenant between him and a man so that legally man of the human race could be legally born because you know that God doesn't birth people. So the only way heaven is filled up is by people being born out of the family of Adam and born into the family of God. And it had to legally be done. So God legally made a way through Jesus. And I'm going to slip back over to 1 Timothy. Please just stay with me because this image, I want it in us so much that we know that He knows that we're not perfect, but we know that we are seated right next to Him because of the blood of Christ. We are born of Him. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. And see, that doesn't mean you. Christ is not the mediator today between you and the Father. It's between God and man. Meaning that he needed someone to, a man who was holy enough who would not sin to make a covenant that could not be broken. Jesus was that mediator between God and and the man, Jesus. And that's what it says here. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Jesus, or Christ Jesus. So Jesus was the man, and the Father made a covenant together. And Jesus, the high priest, was the mediator between the two. Until Jesus was complete, became the Lamb of God, and then it was sealed. That covenant was sealed once and for all, allowing you and I to confess that we are saved by the price that Jesus paid. So Jesus was the mediator for mankind in the fact that he became the Lamb of God. He also became the high priest. He shed his blood. But now that covenant is sealed. That's why when you are born again, you are instantly seated in Christ because you are born with his nature. So now you are a child of God. You don't need Jesus to represent you. It's Jesus represented you and sealed it when you were born again, once and for all. I'm hoping I'm being clear here. Quit being afraid of God and have a phobia of God. Be afraid of walking away from God by playing with sin and by playing with religion. But when you're born again, you are his child. You're right now seated in Christ right next to the Father. And you are an heir right now, undeserved, unearned, by faith in what Jesus has already done. He was the mediator between God and man. And I don't want us to keep in that practice of, I'm just such a loser, a failure, that I need Jesus every day. Oh, Jesus, I want to go see the Father. I want to worship, but I need to wash me with it. I was cleansing my life with the blood five times a day sometimes for things I did, things I didn't know I did, because I was so afraid that I would die and meet God without a washed stuff. I wasn't clean, not realizing that that's not how it's supposed to be. Let's go back over here to Galatians 3.20 real quick. and I'll close with this. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one alone, but God is one. So Jesus became the mediator between God and the man Jesus. Between one. God is one. That's the point, that he doesn't need you to offer God holiness or need you to offer God perfection, to be born of the family of God and to walk in that birthright. I want you to walk freely in the birthright of being a child of God. The same way when my child is not perfect. And everyone, every parent knows no kid is really perfect. My children still sit at my table and eat of the food freely and don't feel guilty. They're not waiting for me to, to take the food away. Oh, here's for my good daughter. My good daughter did good today. You get a big piece of food. And my son, who wasn't perfect today, you were late, and you just not good enough. 
you get one little carrot. That's it. This is your consequence for not being perfect. My kids are, they walk in into the fridge and take food and, and they're free. They know their family. They know that even when they're not perfect, they have a father and a mother that loves them and is for them. Jesus as your mediator for mankind made a way for you to be born into the family of God. And so the way we understand this verse with the imagery that he's our father, that we're heirs to the kingdom of God, is that Jesus was my mediator that allowed me to be birthed into the family of God. Now, because I have his nature in me, God looks at me and loves me the same way he would Jesus. And if I struggle with an area, I repent. And repentance is so much more than just, oops, oops, forgive me, oops, you know, I won't do it again. But you ask for God the mercy and you ask for washing of the blood to cleanse you because that's our heart. Our heart is to be perfect, is to be holy. But we are wearing natural bodies and it is a process for us to overcome them. And knowing that, that while I'm overcoming my weaknesses and my struggles, my standard is still the same. I'm pursuing a standard of complete holiness, a standard of complete devotion, complete sanctification in all areas, in my emotions, in the way I treat people, in the way I look at myself, in not having pride or arrogance, in not justifying myself, not earning anything with God, in getting rid of anger and jealousy and self-provision, self-pride. All these areas, it's, it doesn't happen overnight. We have a flesh that we struggle with. But we don't let go of the standard and say, God, I'll never get there. You hold on to the standard and know that while you're walking towards that standard of holiness and sanctification, you're free to run to your Father's presence without a mediator. You're free to run into His presence and to jump on His lap without being afraid He's going to reject you. The only people who need to be afraid of God, afraid of meeting God, is the person who's not born again when they see him in the afterlife. Because that will be a horrible, horrible experience of God's judgment and wrath. Not because of them, because of the nature of sin in them. You are born again. You are his child right now. Right now you're seated right next to the Father. And see, when you hear someone say, well, you don't have to be holy, just the grace of God means I can run in sin. That's running the opposite way. The right way is to say, I'm struggling with an area. I don't accept it as who I am. That's why I'm struggling with it. Uh, There are days I may fall to it or give in to it. But I wash myself by the blood of Jesus. I'm never rejected by God. Now, I can walk away from Him. He'll never walk away from me. You are family. Be loved every day by family. Your Father loves you. Jesus made sure of that. Thanks for spending time with me today, and we'll continue on this next time. God bless you.